Hello, good evening and welcome to Science and Magic, the films of Studio Ghibli. Uh, my name is Neil and I'm here with my good friends uh, Ruben and Jamie to talk to you guys, to you lovely listeners, about all of the Studio Ghibli movies and today uh, we've got a, we've got the second one, because uh, it's episode two. Ruben? Yes. What, what is, hello Ruben, what is <laughs> German fire wine. Why am I asking you about it? <laughs> German fire wine. So I was sent a, I don't know by whom, was it you or somebody sent me a video of not uh, me <laughs> of someone doing German fire wine. Maybe I saw it on Reddit. So what German fire wine is, is you take a couple of bottles of wine, you put it in this contraption. Um, it's like a glass bowl with like a little um, candle holder in the bottom you put the two bottles mm. of wine in there, you warm the bottles up, and then you have these Zuckerhots, which are sugar hats. They're like little sugar cones. You take right. them, you put it on top of this kind of perforated metal strip that goes over the bucket of wine, as it were. Right. Um, and then you pour Bacardi 151 all over <laughs> the sugar cone so that it is soaked in it. And then you light it on mm. fire, and then the sugar melts and kind of like <laughs> drops down through to it. It is absolutely amazing. It tastes delicious. Wow. Um, and I made it um, when I had uh, two friends over here uh, a couple of weekends ago, and I put it on Instagram. That's why you're asking me about it. That's why I'm asking but, um, you about it. It's absolutely wow. delicious. I highly recommend it. It's like mulled wine, but extra. It's uh, It sounds... It almost sounds like something out of a Studio Ghibli movie, to be honest. It sounds high on, high the, on the whimsy scale. scale. Yes. yes. <laughs> With intense like preparation of food, exactly. <laughs> right. It's like a 10, straight up 10 on the whimsy scale. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, Jamie, what is your favorite seasonal beverage? I really like mulled wine. Um, mm. I also associate... Uh, like gin drinks with this time of year because I associate it with juniper berries and kind right. of like mm. pine trees and things like that. So gin right. can taste of pine. Yeah. Also port. Port's a great seasonal drink. Port, yeah. I was recently given a thing of uh, pumpkin spice eggnog and it was disgusting. Oof. So that'll you not be on the eggnog. list. No. You know, in, I, I didn't, in Slovakia many years ago, I had, um, well, they have many different kind of home brew yeah, it's kind of like moonshine. Um, <laughs> we have that do, in Romania. They, they do make Suica. these. They do make these things professionally as well. There's one where they have where they distill it with pine cones, and and uh, it's called I think this one is called Borovička. Hmm. So if you're ever in uh, in Eastern Europe, there, check out have a bit of Borovička for some pine cone uh, fermentation action. Um, <laughs> I'm a hot toddy fan myself. Mm, like a hot toddy. Oh, okay, those are good choices. Yep. Yeah, I usually do that when I have uh, when I'm a little bit sick, like if I have the flu or yeah. like a cold, I'll have a nice hot toddy in the evening. Feels really yeah. good. Yeah, I'm on three a night at the minute, <laughs> as you can probably tell from my voice. Um, we are here to talk today about Laputa Castle in the Sky, or as uh, it was uh, called in the American release or the Western release, just Castle in the Sky. It's uh, it's the second one. Of the, it's actually the first Studio Ghibli movie, as we discussed in the last episode. Norska is kind of the prelude to Studio Ghibli. This is their first proper one. Um, early thoughts, or good themes? Any good, any strong themes coming out for you guys? What do you, what do you make of this one? 
I think this one has just kind of classic um, 100% uh, Ghibli kind of feel to it. It is, mm. to me, the essence of all the Studio Ghibli films. Um, you know, there's nice. there's like kind of fantasy in it. There's real world. There's the interaction between, you know, science and technology, nature versus kind of um, industry trying to take that and kind of protecting nature, uh, which, you know, I think plays such big roles in a lot of Studio Ghibli films that this just feels mm. like the essence of of his filmmaking to me. The plot of Castle in the Sky or La Puta Castle in the Sky, as it's known uh, everywhere else, is, well, it starts off, I really like how it starts. It's got a very good kind of cold mm. open. Um, We've got this, um, I guess they're kind of like airships. You know, everyone is uh, kind of traveling by airship. You've got this airship uh, flying and it's got this young girl in it. Um, the airship is surrounded by air pirates um, mm. who kind of come around buzzing like little flies. I really like the uh, the planes they have because they're almost like little yeah. actual bugs. Little bugs. Yeah. yeah. Um, they feel kind of... This is like very whimsical. They feel kind of like organic, you know, bugs yeah. almost. Um, so they kind of raid this ship and, you know, you're kind of led to believe that it is um, kind of a, a thing that happens all the time. You know, that, um, you know, sometimes there are these raids that happen because they seem mm -hmm. prepared to do it. Uh, but for some reason, they're going after this girl and the girl crawls out of the window and falls off the uh the airship but somehow mm. uh over over kind of um this this land but for some reason as she's falling which i think is probably one of the most iconic scenes in in cinema i think mm. where she's falling through the clouds and you see her kind of falling down the middle of the screen perfectly through the clouds i think that's yes such beautiful a shot isn't it beautiful shot um it's yeah. been copied so many times it's just absolutely gorgeous she falls, but she doesn't. Um, she doesn't. She doesn't die. She floats. You know. She kind of mm. slowly descends and lands in this um, mining town, uh, where she's found by this boy named Pazu. Um, yep. Now Pazu um, is. What's unclear to me, maybe you could explain this. I don't know if he was with his father, or if he's an orphan, or. Um, yeah. So he's an orphan, he's an orphan. Uh, yes. uh, Pazu, or as they they call him Patsu in the in the movie, Patsu, you know, okay. in, yes, at least in the right. Disney dub. Um, we'll get on to talk about the Disney dub, but they call him Patsu. I always thought Pazu, but um, yeah, they, they he's an orphan. He lives by himself in his little uh, his little stone house thing with his um, with his doves in the in the chimney. Um, the the guy that he's working for uh, is kind of I guess his adoptive family, like he. He's, he's he refers to him as the boss, so he's obviously his boss in the mine. Um, and later on in the town, we see the boss's wife, uh, and she's standing there with the frying pan, um, <laughs> ready to whack someone in the head. And and you know they're they're very parental parental towards her. At least she's definitely very motherly towards mm -hmm. him. And of course, the boss then you know defends both kids in uh, in, in the fist fight with the pirates at the start. So yeah, they um. 
she seems to not know, you know, what makes her special or why she kind of why they're after her, but mm. she knows that they're after her because of this amulet. I think it's I think I, I'd call it an amulet um, or kind of like mm-hmm. a pendant that she's wearing. Um, so the pirates come down um, who are backed by uh, some corporate interests, I feel, um, is how I would describe mm. some corporate military, you know, military industrial complex kind of guys, <laughs> um, as we call it in the international relations field. For, for That's for the economist crowd out there. Um, <laughs> um, you know, they kind of land and they start trying to apprehend her um, and apprehend the, um, the amulet. Uh, there's a great chase scene. The mine chase scene is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. The one that happens on the rails. It's uh, kind of edge of your seat stuff. Um, very cinematic. Isn't very it? cinematic. I love yeah. that chase scene. Yeah. And eventually they meet up with, um, I think, is it his uncle or his grandfather, sort of? Um, the old man in the cave. Oh, yeah. Just an um, old mentor just an... kind of figure, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the Obaba character for this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So there was exactly. some sort of old person linked to the mystical world. Mm-hmm. Knowledge of the elders. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of tells a story about how um, the amulet is a levitation stone. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's what used to keep the flying cities alive. You know, in this time, there used to be flying cities all over the world. And... It used to keep all Laputa and other flying cities kind of afloat. It's almost like a um, like a power source, I would call it. Um, yeah. Uh, do we know what it's called? It Hikuseki, I think, is what they called the material. Um, oh right, yeah. It's just, it's yeah. That's right. They throw that word out there, and then it's not really used again, yeah, exactly, is it? It's a bit yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then this um, th- this. This, the amulet is being sought because you can use it to find Laputa, mm-hmm. the, yep. the, the or titular city, mm-hmm. uh, and then and that that is the motivation. That's the MacGuffin, isn't it? For um, mm-hmm. well, not for the pirates. I mean, they, I think they just want riches, don't they? Yes, I'm not really yeah. sure they understand what it's all about, but <laughs> definitely the our, our main villain. Yeah. Uh, your namesake, Ruben. That's right, Ruben. Uh, mm-hmm. Muska. <laughs> Muska, uh, our bad guy, is mm-hmm. um, is uh, is unique in, in the pantheon of Studio Ghibli movies, I think. Um, we'll get to him in a bit, I guess. Yeah. He... Uh, but he, he's after them. It's it's a big kind of chase, isn't it? All, they're all after mm-hmm. the, the princess for her yeah. a- amulet yeah. to find Laputa, basically, isn't it? Yeah, and eventually, um, I think he does, uh, they do capture, uh, Muska does capture uh, Shita and um, uh, Pazu or Patsu, as they call him in the yeah. dub, um, and eventually take them to a, uh, a fort or like a prison, I guess, like a military compound. Um, yeah. Where uh, they're, she's kind of in prison, but kind of in a, uh, it's like a nice room, you know, like she's in prison, but not really. Whereas Patsu is basically told to, he's sent out, you know, I think, isn't he? He's, they let him go effectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they let Patsu go. Um, and she did then, I think she say she does kind of, um, 
she recites a, an ancient, um, almost like a spell, kind of, you know, an a ancient spell, spell yep. that she was told and activates the amulet. Now, the amulet then, now there's been this, there had been this robot that they were shown. It's this giant kind of iron giant robot that was also yep. in the fortress. So as soon as she activates her uh, pendant, her amulet, uh, the robot comes to life. Um, and it just goes on a tear through the fortress. Um, mm. While this is happening, um, Patsu decides, goes back home, finds out that the pirates have gone to his home. And <laughs> we suddenly... Eating all his food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having a nice feast. Um, and then we are kind of starting to question whether the pirates are really bad or not, I think, because he decides mm. to team up with the pirates um and try to go rescue Shita. Um so as the robot is destroying this fortress from inside out, um just tearing it apart, trying to get to her to rescue her. She doesn't realize that it's trying to rescue her and she's kind of scared of the of the big robot. Do we know what the robot is called, by the way? Don't actually is I it don't. just called robot? Maybe it's just a robot. Know. I don't know. I don't know if that it's ever, you know, talked about. But no. So we have Patsu along with the pirates screaming their way across uh, the uh, countryside towards this fortress that is just being lit up and destroyed. All while great, a, another great scene, right? Oh, it's such a great scene. The all the while, an airship, a giant military airship, comes down um, from the, I guess, the big military power uh, in the. Yeah in the in this world and they um there's a big fight scene and eventually the uh robot very sadly uh while he's trying to protect uh Shita gets shot several times and just yeah. he gets uh it is it's kind of like it's strangely emotional you know when oh yeah when he gets killed um very sad yeah very sad yeah very sad it's almost like uh it feels very kind of, you know, uh what is it, Brave Little Toaster? Um Do you know what I'm talking about, Jamie? <laughs> yeah. I do. Though it's funny because when he first appeared, I was thinking of him like the uh the creature in Nausicaa that destroyed the world. Like another yes. kind of metallic creature mm -hmm. that has destructive powers. So it's ambiguous, isn't it? When you when we first meet the robot, what his intentions are, and mm -hmm. we we know later on that he it was all to protect Cheetah, but he he kind of comes after her, doesn't he? he? Like comes at her, but mm -hmm. he's really trying to get her to protect her. She doesn't know that, of course. She runs mm -hmm. away. Exactly. Um, but it's more more of Miyazaki's ambiguity. You know, mm -hmm. is it is it is it a good guy? Is it a bad guy? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So yeah, and then off they go, don't they? So they they yeah. they head off with the pirates, the two kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, to look for Laputa. Yeah, they get put to work. Uh, they have yeah, fun, they pirate <laughs> fun pirate life. Fun pirate life, yeah. And, the, and then the military are doing the same. So then yeah. they're, they're all chasing Laputa. They're all chasing it. And she um, activates the... Um, they get put up in a uh, in like a separate glider. And yeah. they as the military is chasing them, um, since they're both working for the pirates now, Shita and uh, Patsu, but they uh, use the power of the amulets to find, basically go through the clouds. There's this giant cloud in the middle that, you know, they're kind of flying in and around. And they almost get sucked yeah. in, kind of like a vortex. 
um, to go through the clouds, and all of a sudden we find Laputa. Um, and it actually links back to Patsu, he has, as in a lot of Miyazaki films, you'll see this. He um, he has a link to this city because his father was a pilot, um, mm. and he had a mm. photo, I think, I believe it was a photo taken of the city that mm-hmm. he had in his room. So he sees that view and he knows it's Laputa. Um, mm. So they land on this beautiful uh, floating city um, and are met by another one of those giant robots. Yep. Uh, in fact, the whole island seems to be full of robots, um, only one of which is functioning or remains functioning. And we see that his only purpose is to keep the island, um, to keep the floating city uh, kind of free of kind of outside forces, I would say, you know, you see them pick up and like remove yeah. them, the glider off of this beautiful uh, patch. I don't think it was grass or flowers or something, but making sure that it doesn't damage the ecosystem effectively uh, right. in the city. Um, but unfortunately, um, the uh, the military, along with uh, Muska, also gets through and has now found the city and they basically attach their ship and start boarding. They capture the pirates, mm-hmm. um, all while Muska takes um, Shita and Patsu down into kind of the core of the city, mm-hmm. uh, the floating city. As they're going down into the core, um, you know, you're trying to figure out why, what's happening, who is she? And that's when... Uh, we reveal that Muska isn't just, it gets revealed, you know, as they get to the core of the mm-hmm. city, that he is not just a part of the military industrial complex. No, he is actually, and she are both members of, I guess, the royal family. Um, they are related to each other. They are both, uh, would you call it Laputians? Laputians? Yeah, I guess. Laputians. Yeah. Um, and we quickly find out that. Um, he wants he recites a um uh a spell and it's uh, revealed that the core the giant crystal at the core of the city that's making it float can be used as a weapon um mm. kind of like a weapon of mass destruction almost and he turns his back on the military that helped him out and destroys their airship in fantastic style yes so now we know that um, this is actually a weapon that can be used. And, you know, during this whole, like, mayhem and battle, um, Sheeta grabs her crystal amulet and uh, kind of runs away and escapes and basically says that the crystal was given to her, you know, um, you know, to protect and to use for good, not to use it as a... Um, sorry. Which one? Hobbs or Hobbs or Calvin? This is Hobbs. But basically, um, they try to get the crystal out because it's not supposed to be used for um, for evil to destroy things. So she recites right. one last spell, and I think it's called the spell of destruction. And with the spell of destruction, the entire city starts to fall apart because the crystal um, falls apart. And everything is breaking apart and falling apart. Everything's being destroyed. 
and disintegrating. Um, I believe uh, Muska falls off the city, but they manage to... Um, Patsu and uh, Shida get rescued by Dola, the pirate mm-hmm. queen, a uh, very strong character we should talk about her later. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And they fly off to uh, kind of start another world, all while I believe Laputa floats off into space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And Patsu, Patsu and, um, and Shida head off, I think, to Shida's homeland mm-hmm. or where she's from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, obviously not her ancestral homeland, that's Laputa, but where she was, <laughs> she was, we saw her, we see her earlier raising yaks. Oh, yeah, so she wants she to show yaks. Yes, she wants to show pa- Pazu her yaks. It's <laughs> <That's> nice. Oh, <laughs> very cute. Let's got good stuff, Ruben. Great uh, off the cuff synopsis, mm-hmm. um, and a nice um, a nice way to kind of touch on some of those themes that we're going to talk about. Let why don't we first um, why don't we first go go to the mining village because that's I guess where we all start. Yes. Um, one thing that I really like about this is that this life here is a struggle, mm-hmm. right? This is not easy life. This is, you know, life in the Valley of the Wind was, wasn't easy, was it? And I think neither is it here in this mining town. Uh, you know, the technology needs attending and it needs repair. Uh, none, of the, none, of the, none of the kind of people in this town seem to have an easy life. The mine is kind of not doing so well. You know, there's complaints about the mine uh having to close that's quite interesting that's quite a, a close parallel to the decline of the mining industry uh in the uk well neil uh, it, did mm. you know that miyazaki mm. visited wales i was wondering if he did that yeah. on his on his trip to Tynemouth, yep. uh, where there is snuck down to wales as well but oh, okay wow fantastic well, that makes a lot of sense it says it? miyazaki first visited wales in 1984 and witnessed the miners strike firsthand he returned to the country in 1986 to prepare for Lapida, which he said reflected his Welsh experience. Quote, I was in Wales just after the miners' strike. I really admired the way the miners' unions fought to the very end for their jobs in their communities, and I wanted to reflect the strength of those communities in my film. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. So he saw it firsthand. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, it's in the way that he's drawn it, obviously, is... Um, it's an ex- it's a, an exaggerated form. Uh, I mean, I love how he's literally built this town on the edge of this cliff. Mm. Um, on the sides of the cliff, you see the the people living right there on the side of the cliff, and then right at the top of the cliff, we've got the town itself. Uh, yeah, it's really really cool. It's kind of interesting to me that, um, you know, like such a theme of his work is this like nature versus industry, but then he's also saying like, but the coal miners are good. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah well it, you know it, as with his as with his works it's a juxtaposition you know mm-hmm. it's not straightforward it's it's balance between one side and the other yeah also maybe our at least my like 2020 lens of thinking of coal miners whereas in the 1980s they were thought of very differently right yeah that's true yeah it does strike me how how much in this film and in other films of his that kind of like day to day the 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 rote work that you do day to day features you know like in mm-hmm. um, in Spirited Away where you have um, the old man down there kind of like making the city work you know or 
or you know any other film there's like this theme of working and the working man and like how things Mm -hmm. work behind the scenes to make other things work which i think is very fascinating um and i think that's a theme that you see throughout a lot of his films and his storytelling yeah yeah i I think that's right and and i think that you know the the struggle the struggle nothing's shiny and new is it um i Mm. think in in pretty much any of his movies it's all um, I mean, we do see more. We do see more of an idyllic Japanese life in some of his more um, domestic kind of settings. I'm thinking like um, I'm thinking like Ponyo. You know, when when you if you guys if you guys have seen that one, it's basically set in Japan. You can see Japan uh, Japanese life mm-hmm. in the countryside, and it's nice. It's kind of that's to get a bit more kind of down to earth, but. Here we've got, um, I guess this is Earth. <laughs> Do you yeah, think? Is I this, think it's am Earth. I right? Or? I was unclear about whether this was Earth mm. kind of like far into the future, um, you know, where they had discovered mm. these stones or if it was another planet. Yeah, what's your take on that? Don't really know. I mean, it's... it's the t- Always with Miyazaki, it's not straightforward. You've got seemingly advanced technology that, uh, I mean, obviously, if you, you, you could take away this magical element of the stone. We see, we, but we see flying ships that would not fly, right, mm-hmm. without technology. So there's advanced technology in that sense, yet it all looks like it's going to fall apart at any minute. <laughs> um, you've, got, um, you've got the mine that's kind of breaking down and falling apart. You know, as we see the boss struggling with the steam kind of bl- blasting out everywhere at the start. But I, I mean, that that mining town for me, at the, having the start set in this mining town grounds it in our reality. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, I'm going to go off that base that he starts with and say that it's it's based on our real world. Okay. Yeah. I yeah I agree. I buy that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one doesn't even have as many, like, fantastical animals. It doesn't have any fantastical animals uh, setting it apart. Are there fantastical animals on the, on the floating city? I think well, until we get to Lapido itself, yeah. Well, did you not notice the little uh, Nausicaa's fox thing? On well, the, sure. On, but, I, I mean, a flying fox robot? is a real animal, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. But there's a little there's a little gathering of them on the robot, wasn't there? Yeah, mm-hmm. the little Pokemon things. That's the little true. That, that's the height of whimsy in the movie. Yes. Let's go with that. Let's go with the grounding of base a base in reality with with the whimsical magical element of the stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big kind of the big whimsy injection. Also, mm-hmm. the physics. <laughs> like especially yeah. the the train scene those physics are pretty mm-hmm. whimsical <laughs> the stretched the stretched yeah but we'll give it we, we we he's allowed artistic license in an animated movie yeah when it comes to yeah it comes to definitely i i love that train sequence so much i know ruben oh, yeah. shouted out but i think that's the highlight of the movie for me it was so well done, like just right. the, the tension and the, mm-hmm. you know, 
Oh, it's just it's just so good. It's like what you what you expect out of you know um, Indiana Jones. It's got this kind of almost Indiana mm-hmm. Jones feeling to it. You know. Yeah. Plus, yeah, I pretty... love that the pirates. I just wrote down for my notes about the pirates that they are the Beagle Boys, like in Ducktales, <laughs> like a, a crime family of bumbling weirdos. <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. I do. Actually, speaking of the pirates, I did want to like, it seems like it is a matriarchal kind of uh, mm. setup, you know, because uh, she is in charge. Um, she's like the queen pirate. Though she also yep. has some very uh, old fashioned general ideas when it comes to Sheeta. <laughs> true, true. She, she does. does make her does. clean the dishes and cook, right? Yeah. yeah. She puts her to work in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, and what what I love about it about this opening is is how it sets it sets you thinking about the pirates being the bad guys, mm-hmm. right? And then partway through the movie, it changes, um, and all of a sudden the military are the bad guys. Yeah, and then at the end of the movie, it changes again, and Muska is the bad guy, mm-hmm. and he's you know the uh, you know despotic Lapushin. Uh, evil guy yeah and it's it constantly keeps get it constantly makes you readjust what you what you thought you knew about these characters mm-hmm. um, and we get to kind of we get to love the pirates don't we and mm-hmm. uh, even the ones that are you know at the start in the mining town that are the the adjutants the ones that are kind of you know starting the fist fight and you know bullying the town people we actually start to to get to like those guys as well <laughs> Uh, as yeah. they kind of forge relationships with those, I guess they're uh, all brothers, Patsy. right? Is that what they are kind of? Yeah. Oh, brothers, yeah. They're hilarious. Yeah. That fist fight scene was just rich. It's great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. There's also, um, I guess, an obvious contrast between the, I guess you've got the imperialistic power and the wealthy resources of the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the giant, that giant Goliath airship and the castle, um, and then you got the relative paucity of the this socialist mining town, mm. um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, um, you know, I mean, Miyazaki himself is a leftist. Uh, he's not, I guess, he's not quite a socialist, but it, it is, it, of course, it's, it's, that's influential uh, on the heroes of our story. Yeah, like, you know, Miyazaki's own kind of leanings, and um, and the, of course, how they how our heroes overcome you know, the might of the right-wing military. Yeah. I think there is obviously, like, you know, there are themes of, and I think you saw this in the last one as well, there are themes of kind of very classical Japanese anti-military militarism, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and kind of, you know, anti-massive weapons of mass destruction, you know, um, the kind of horrors of those, you know. um, I think that's a theme you see. You've seen a lot of Japanese writing and films um so making the military the bad guy is i think um understandable from a cultural perspective as well yeah 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 and and you know not making not adding a kind of all-powerful superhero you know born with special powers who just beats them as the hero you know our hero is not like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right our heroes are just two kids Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and they've got they've got an amulet, and that's all they've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you do see, and I I think you kind of notice this in other uh, films of his as well. This kind of 
I, I do take, I see what you say about the kind of left-leaning, kind of leftist tendencies, but I think what you see a lot of, especially, is kind of class awareness and awareness of where you fall in the social strata. You know, mm. you know you've got the princess and you've got, you know, the mining boy in, you know, other movies. You've got, you know, the, the poorer working class boy and kind of the, uh, you know, the richer girl, you know. you know. I think there's like a definite kind of class awareness and kind of a breaking mm-hmm. down of that class structure that he advocates for. Um, yeah. You know, you see that only when they work together, they can kind of win or like you know Mm -hmm. beat the bad guys and similarly like a society where pirates are able to flourish is a society where the government isn't doing its job so Mm -hmm. government's too busy trying to find flying castles in the sky to enforce (laughs) their anti-pirate laws you know that's right that's right it's um it's all uh, yeah what is the government's um what is the military's um what, what, why are they looking for Laputa? Like, what, what is their motivation for doing that? Well, they were promised power. Yeah, ultimate, oh, <laughs> ultimate power. <laughs> they were promised this ultimate power, this weapon, you know. But it's unclear, but they- unclear to me who they're fighting, or you know, is this a world government? Is this like just one government mm. of many? That, that's what was a little unclear to me. Mm-hmm. But the mil- the military themselves are also being manipulated by Muska, mm-hmm. right? Right, who so, felt kind of like I mean, intelligence the, servicey to me, like he was a part yes. of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, yeah, secret service sort of kind of secret agenty kind of guy. He's James Bond. Um, yeah, but I just I thought that was quite interesting. I mean, the mil- so the military is being portrayed, or to me at least, it's being portrayed as just you know this big dumb kind of muscle. Mm-hmm. The Musker is kind of. Uh, misleading to his own devices Mm -hmm. and then of course he abandons them and just ultimately destroys them doesn't he yeah Mm -hmm. yeah now what did you make of uncle pom um do you like uh do you like his introduction do you like i mean it's very brief brief part Mm -hmm. isn't it uncle pom but what did you what did you think of him i think it's like necessary kind of exposition you know he kind of like is the person that yeah, like you were saying, he plays that role that you often see in Miyazaki uh, films and Studio Ghibli films of kind of that, you know, older, you know, wiser, like knows the ways, you know, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of Obi-Wan Kenobi character, you know? Um, yeah. He's kind of like off a little bit, you know, some people may call him crazy, but he, you know, is, he loves being down there and like when the vibrations happen right and the rocks all light up, it's beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously this, you know, you're, people think he's crazy, but he's actually kind of more in touch with the world than everyone else is. And, you know, people think he's crazy because everyone has forgotten how they're supposed to be in touch with the world. Which feels very like, mm. that feels very Japanese to me. Like the idea of like elders having knowledge is not something that mm. I think western countries embrace as much um but respecting yeah yeah, exactly respect for the knowledge that elders have and that they have some special insight that we don't have as non-elders feels very japanese Mm -hmm. yeah what did you think neil yeah well i agree and and i think that that scene gets you to buy into 
well, I guess especially Sheeta and her her arc, right? I mean that that's I think it's necessary for that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're a bit you're a bit lost, I think, as to what she's all about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she Hatsu, is too. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it very much helps her to see what what's going on. I mean, Patsu's arc is obviously a bit more overt. We see. You know the flashbacks and the father and in father taking the picture and mm-hmm. that all gets nicely kind of, um, you know the, that circle gets kind of closed out, as you said, Ruben. When when they're going through the kind of dragon storm mm-hmm. into Lampuda, he sees we get that moment where he sees mm-hmm. his father and, and his he father knows looks he, back around. He knows he's mm-hmm. like justified. He knows that. And, you know, because yeah. everyone kind of made fun of him and said, like, well, there's no no such thing, you know, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And finally, he's like, your dad yes. was crazy. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So good for you, Patsu. 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 <laughs> Whatever your name is. What is it? <laughs> Pazu. I thought it was Pazu because I read his name first. That's Pazu. how it's spelled. I heard it. But yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. But Maybe it's just the. I think it's the I, dub. I don't, I think it is the dub, and I don't think it's everyone in the dub. I think it's inconsistent. It's weird. <laughs> Actually, you know, when when they're heading into that dragon storm, you were telling us earlier, Ruben, the 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 two kids they're on the pirate ship, mm-hmm. they're doing their chores, mm-hmm. uh, and one of uh, one of Pazu's chores one night is to go up on in the crow's nest. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, and Sheeta goes up there with him. And uh, and that's when they spot Goliath. And that, this scene, I really, really love. Um, the I agree with you guys. The train uh, scene, the train chase scene's the best. <laughs> this is my second favorite. And this one, when they're up in the clouds and they're getting chased by the Goliath and they're dipping into the cloud, the thick cloud, it's kind of to me like a like a submarine drama or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they, you can't they can't see each other. One mm-hmm. goes or like you know what you know in Star Trek when they kind of use the nebula to hide from the other ships. <laughs> yes, <laughs> in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, this is exactly what happens, um, and it's kind of like that. They're using the thick cloud to hide themselves, and and then and then off they go up in um, in the glider, mm-hmm. and the glider to me is really really cool. It does a number of different things for me. This glider. Um, it it kind of removes the clunky mechanics and the kind of retro future tech. Uh, and this movie, this movie is a big um, early steampunk uh, mm-hmm. influencer. Mm. It feels like that Gorillaz music video. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and this this takes us out of that a bit, and I like that. And it takes us just it's more about the wind, and it takes us back to the elements. But it, it's also a really smart plot device because it gets Patsu and Shida away from the pirates uh, so that they can arrive on Lapida on their own, which gives us uh, a nice bit of kind of whimsy time with them, with those two and the robot, the gardener robot. Uh, and I think that's that's an important, you know, I think I was wondering if Miyazaki was kind of thinking, right, well, how do I get them on their own away from the pirates? Ah, oh, you'll put them in a glider. That'd be really nice. It is, and it kind of like goes back to his and i think you see this theme throughout the rest of his kind of storytelling is his obsession with flying you know and Mm. flying plays such a big role in in his stories you know like porco rosso is obviously all about flying you know Mm -hmm. you had uh kind of in nausicaa um you know there's a lot of flying um 
you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other movies. You know, you've got uh, almost all of them. I think. I think almost. Point, um, yeah, there's some theme, yeah. right, of of flying and the wind. And you know, I I've I grew up loving to fly. I was on planes a lot when I was a child. You know, since I lived overseas and moved here to the U.S. You know, and I kind of identify with that a lot. You know, like I identify with his love mm-hmm. of flying and his fascination with being in the clouds. And I think you see it, like you were saying, in this scene where he's kind of going through the clouds in and out. You can kind of like see mm. his love for aviation, you know, and his wonder, you know, for all things flying. Yeah, and we'll see that towards the end of his his career with The Wind Rises. You know, The Wind Rises is, uh, is basically that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the clues in the name. The the, um, the robot, uh, we saw one robot in the castle. We see another robot um, on Laputa. Again, it's kind of like the supreme power that we saw in Nausicaa. But this time it's kind of benevolently mm-hmm. uh, violent. And again, it's kind of, it's it's Miyazaki giving us both things at once. It's, it's, it's peaceful, yet it's supremely powerful and, and ultimately, you know, destructive. It, it's... Uh, we we just we keep getting these uh, these ambiguous kind of is it good is it bad mm-hmm. uh, things about the robot. Well, and, I think uh, the robot is neutral. You know, like you know, you see that he's been tasked with protecting Laputa, and that's just mm-hmm. what the robot is doing. You know, kind of that's what all of them were doing. You kind of see a lot of them in various states of disrepair. You know, and various states of degrading. And I think he's the only yeah. one left um, on the island. And. Mm-hmm. Um, the floating city and you just yeah. uh, you kind of you 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 do get this weird emotional connection to the robot because you can almost see he's got kind of a he almost is you look at his task as kind of Sisyphean you know it you know he just keeps mm-hmm. cleaning and making sure things are nice and making sure things are pretty and there's nobody there to there's nobody there anymore but it's just running on autopilot you know I think it's interesting that he, the robot, I don't, I'm not trying to gender the robot, but that the robot has like the elements of whimsy itself. Mm-hmm. Like Which the grass I don't, growing on him and stuff. and the Yeah. And like, he's the friend of the animals and yeah. Um, making an industrial machine, a whimsical kind character is interesting when you consider like the themes of Miyazaki films. That, that's right. And, and um, he's, he's doing exactly that, isn't he? He's taking, he's taking something that is, I guess, ultimately militaristic. They kind of, they seem to be made as weapons. Yeah. That's <laughs> their These abilities things. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's taken one and said, well, he can just tend the garden. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he'll be great at it, and all the animals will love him. <laughs> there's like, there's that flashback early on where you see multiple cities in the sky, right? I'm not yeah. like imagining this. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I assume that the robots were originally made to like, you know, f- fight between cities or protect <laughs> the city from other cities or something. And then at some point, the people in Laputa decided that their robots would be peaceful and were able to repurpose them or the robots decided themselves after it was abandoned. I'm not well, sure. But... I, I, it's a good question. And I, I, I was going with the latter there. Yeah. That, that 
for whatever reason, and and again, it's this is this is Miyazaki not giving us the entire plot laid out for us, you know, mm-hmm. or, or all of the backstory, and you know, it's all the better for it, isn't it? We don't know what happened to Laputa. We don't know why it's uh, been abandoned. Why the humans aren't there anymore, um, or the Laputans if they're human. But the I always thought that I was I always thought after the, all of the Laputans had left. Uh, the robots just thought, well, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll just look after the animals and we'll just take care of the place. <laughs> Very advanced AI systems. If you visit the Studio Ghibli Museum uh, in Mitaka, uh, which is a lovely suburb of Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, if you go up to the, the they have a beautiful rooftop garden, uh, you will find a life-size replica of... Uh, the Gardener robot. Oh no! Way. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. really cool. Yeah, you guys uh, should definitely visit the the Studio Ghibli Museum. It's wonderful. I will have to go there next time I'm in Japan. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it is exactly how you imagine. It's an it's as amazing as you imagine it would be. <laughs> well, my fortieth birthday celebration is going to be making people ski in Japan with me. So. Beautiful. You guys and all the listeners are, of course, invited, and we can stop there on our way. Everyone. Everyone, yeah. In typical Japanese style, you have to book tickets in advance, but you get the ticket. You can only book tickets in person at um, at an an outlet of Lawson, which is their version of 7-Eleven. You literally walk into a Lawson, and that's where you get your Studio Ghibli Museum tickets. That's funny. (laughs) We mentioned the food earlier. the The Patsu's place, uh, the the pirates, yeah, uh, the pirates invade. And cook, they cook up quite a feast. Now, food is something we're going to mention periodically yeah. in in our show because it comes up not in every movie, but what, boy, when it does, doesn't the food always look incredibly amazing? Yes. Also, I feel like gr- grotesque old women eating food is a a motif. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there seems Giant to be a motif mouthfuls of, ham. of like kind of uh, gorging yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you see that come up every now and then. And that they definitely were gorging themselves kind of almost in a wasteful way on this yeah. food. Where did they get a lobster from? Yeah, yeah. There was, it's a mining town. That's what these mining. mining kids are eating. Yeah. Did this guy just have amazing. a lobster in his house? It's amazing. Who knows? And the red, the red wine bottle in a basket is very Italian yeah. countryside. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Uh, now, guys, I found two original Laputa anime cells for sale Ooh. on the internet. Oh, wow. Guess how much it's going to cost you uh, in pounds, please? Because I was on a I was on an English website. Hmm. How many pounds do you think you need to spend to get an original cell? Hmm. Like, oh, it's seven hundred fifty pounds. Oof. Well, I was going to go over a thousand. Mm. I was going to guess like fifteen hundred. Well, Ruben, I'll take your answer and I'll times it by ten. Seventy-five hundred pounds. Seven thousand pounds. Wow! So almost by ten. Jesus. Seven thousand pounds. What's that? Ten of your U.S. dollars, maybe twelve, <laughs> something like that. Will buy you a single cell, and uh, the one I saw was not. It was a nice one. It wasn't. It wasn't the best one. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hand pick it for seven thousand. It was quite a nice one. It was. Um, 
it was a shot from behind of Ma and pa- and Pazu on their glider heading towards the castle during the attack oh. over the countryside. It was a nice one. Yeah, it was a nice one. I have seen these kind of pop up like um, individual kind of animation sauce from the 80s have started. I've seen like ads for them for different TV shows right. and movies kind of start to go for sale, which is interesting. Hmm. Well, it's a finite commodity. It's worth the investment, Ruben. Go for yeah. it. Yeah, I guess all of these are like traditional animation cells. They're not digital, yep. obviously, given their date. Handmade. Yeah. Wow. They still are. The um, Studio Ghibli is in the process of making, uh, as you guys know, a its first ever digital animation. Right. Uh, controversially. Mm-hmm. Con- very controversially. <laughs> it looks very strange. Yeah, it does look kind it of It looks yeah. not great. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point in the future. Yeah. Do you guys, where do you think this one came in the Paste magazine? Top 100 Japanese <laughs> anime films of all time. Now, if, I, if I'll remind you that Nausicaa was number 24. I think this one's lower. I liked it less than Nausicaa. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, we can talk about my grade in a minute, but... Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it in the 30s, maybe like 37. Ruben? Uh, I'm going to give it 19. 19? You think it's an improvement on, Lap- on, uh, on Nausicaa? Yes. Well, I will tell you guys that, Jamie, you were absolutely spot on number 37. Wow. wow. How about that, eh? How Jamie, about were you that? cheating? I was not. I'm, I'm truly shocked that I was right. I heard typing. <laughs> yeah, 37. Um, I, I, I agree. Not with the 37, but I agree with it being not quite as good as Nausicaa. Mm-hmm. We can give it our grades if you like. Sure. Uh, Jamie, you go go ahead with yours. You go. You can go first. Um. So I I felt like this movie started out awesome and then it tapered mm. off a lot towards the end mm-hmm. um yeah the opening is just incredible opening a plus for me and then uh it kind of felt like it ran out of steam so by the end right. i would give it maybe like a b minus okay yeah so it ran out of steam it's, it's ironic <laughs> for a steampunk <laughs> right it ran but, out of steam. um, yeah you know, normally you you can quite kind of fairly easily break up a movie into into its three acts. Mm-hmm. This I didn't didn't find that so easy. What I found easier to do with this is basically see it as two different movies, well, not two different movies, but two parts, so two acts. Okay. So the first your first half takes you up to the end of the castle, the the, the, the destruction of the castle, mm-hmm. and then they all they all head off from the castle in different directions. Yeah. And then the second half is them all going from those different directions uh, to Laputo. And I agree, I much preferred the first half mm-hmm. to that second half, which is weird because it's all about Laputo, but as soon as we get to Laputo, it kind of yeah. loses a bit of interest to me. Yeah. Um, I give this one a C. Okay. Just to be clear, I, like, I'm, grading, I'm grading them on a bit of a curve. So um, like, they would all be A's and B's, or pretty much. If if we were grading them against all the other anime movies ever made, mm-hmm. but but just grading them by them by and against themselves only, right? 
So just in this oeuvre of Studio Ghibli, you know, I'm going to give the worst one an F. Right. Right. But but it would never be an F if you're including everything. Right. Um, so this one I'm going to give a C. It's pretty pretty middle of the road. Mm-hmm. I think this one. Really, I so I liked this one a lot. I'm going to give this one an A minus. Mm. Um, wow. I don't know. It uh, it really spoke to me. I liked it a lot. I thought the action moved fairly well. I think it had well defined mm-hmm. um, kind of plot structure and um, you know acts and. I thought they were all pretty well done. Um, you know, I didn't feel, I feel like it didn't drag at all. Um, I felt like Nausicaa dragged a little bit at times. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'd give it a, I'd give it an A minus. It's uh, a minus out of all right. the ones I've, I've seen of his, I've seen probably about half of them. Um, you know, I, I, this is, this is in my top five, I'd say. Okay. Right. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, you don't I, agree, me, but that's fine. <laughs> well, it's that's it's, it's that's you know not to be agreed or disagreed. It's, that's <laughs> your your esteemed judgment, um, and we respect it. Yeah, we don't we don't agree with it, right? But, huh, we, but we respect it. <laughs> but we respect it. No, I mean, to me, this this is a bit too straight down the middle for me. It's it's like it's the goodest of the good versus like the baddest of the bad. Um, there's not really any mystery. Uh, or subtlety. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lore of the Castle of the Sky, I, I, that's a bit of a mystery, I, I guess. It's not really explained, and that's fine, But uh, that, and that's good. But there's just not enough subtext for me. Whereas I feel like Nausicaa had a lot... You could read a lot more into Nausicaa. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I like that. I, I, I find... Yeah, I find pa- Pazu and Shida, they're just, they're just a little dull, to be honest. Shida is just like... She has nothing going on. She's not, and you compare to yeah, Nausicaa, and exactly. she's, she's totally badass, and uh, they're just, yeah, I think they're both a little soft for me. Yeah. I did appreciate Anna Paquin using her real Kiwi accent in the Disney dub. Yes. You know, I did, I, I was kind of shocked at how the accent came and went, I thought, in the <laughs> Disney version. Sometimes it was there, yeah. sometimes it wasn't. I was a little confused by that. I realize how few lines she has because she's just not really a character. Because I kept being like, I want to hear more of this accent. And then she just have like a single line. Whereas Nausicaa, I felt like, had like a character arc. Nausicaa's really the stronger she... character, for sure. Yeah. I don't feel mm. like Sheeta has any kind of arc. Like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not really clear on her motivation. I... She's just like, I'm good. I do good things, you know? Yeah. So. That's right. I mean, what is she there for? She's, I mean, she's lost her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, is she the, like, the last one? I mean, obviously not, because we know, we find out that um, that Muska is also a Laputin. Right. But you get, like, no but, sense of mourning from her when she falls from the sky. Like, mm. I don't know. Well, her memory gets kind of wiped, right? Does it? Or does it not? Or she doesn't really, because she well, doesn't remember she... really that she's Laputin. I think she didn't know it's... she was Laputin, but she doesn't seem sad about the people oh, she gotcha. left behind on the airship is more what I mean. Gotcha. Mm. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she's a bit She's a bit of a, a blank page, I think. Yeah. Whereas Nausicaa is like such a strong character. Yeah, I didn't like... Um, Pazu's, uh, it's Dawson from Dawson's Creek. Yes. James Vanderbeek. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my God. I did not. That, that's 
totally the wrong voice for me. That is not who I would. <laughs> well, pick. Mark Hamill plays Muska. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a highlight. He is delightful. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Though he is I feel great. like he. Every time I hear him, I'm like, oh, this character is the villain. <laughs> he's like yeah, evil he has to be a bad in like kind of almost a you know hyperbolic way. Like it's just mm-hmm. so like, haha, and now I've done this exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he does it so well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had that little tiny part, didn't he, in um, in Norsica? Yeah. And it was literally in and out. He's gone. Yeah. Now he gets some real meaty stuff. He's really chews the scenery on this one. It's yeah. great. <laughs> How many children do you think is ideal to make a pirate gang? <laughs> well, there's at least... I think when when you see them at the start in the mining village, are the, are the ones in the white suits the, the, the actual children... I think so. And then there's yeah. and then there's some other ones that are like in the gang but not right. The sons of Marn. Yeah. And Paul. I feel I like they're right. like sort of hired help cuz they're not on yeah. the ship. That's right. Yeah. So what are, they, are they, is this is it three of them or are there I think there's four three or five. Yeah, I, think. I think there's three. Yeah. It's three. And they have <laughs> so they're Charles, Louis and Henri. Are they in right? the French? English version? Which made me think of like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> mm, it's DuckTales. Yeah. Also, Henri is played by Andy Dick, which is interesting. Oh my God. And uh, Louie is Mandy Patinkin. Right. But just, you know, just trying to think like how many children I, you need to make a pirate game. But I found it, can we stop for a second? I found it slightly disturbing that one of them, who was probably in their 30s, were hitting on. On uh, mm-hmm. Shido, who is on like yep. ten, and that's yep. pretty, yep. pretty like pedo. That's yeah, very but pedo. also very classic of eighties movies. It is tough to watch the gender politics in eighties movies as a adult woman. <laughs> mm. Well, it also reminds me of um, Murakami. You get a lot of kind of weird underage sex stuff in Murakami novels as well. Yeah. That's like 1980s. That's what was happening. Love there are so many 80s movies where it's like, what is happening is very creepy regarding younger women. So right, like some high school girl, yeah, and some teacher, or yeah, yeah, some weird, or like a yeah. our mutual friend George Neal was telling me he watched, mm. I think it was uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with his eight year old daughter. And she kept being like, why are they leaving the woman behind? Like, why isn't she fighting with them? Why isn't she a main character? And I was like, oh, those are the movies right. I grew up with. Where, like, that movie women gets are just, like, comic relief. So fast. Yeah. The, the second one, Temple it of Doom. Does. Yeah. So dated. <laughs> it's so racist. Right. But so, like, you know, the gender politics of the 80s are very different mm-hmm. than uh, today. Luckily well, for us uh, and- today. It, and what's interesting in in the Japanese version, right, in the original version, they are not love interests, or they're not interested romantically in Shita. Shita mm. is presented as more like a mother figure. I mean, I know they have the mother figure, the mother's on the on the ship, but she's presented more in a motherly way towards them, looking after them, like feeding them, cleaning up after them, and such. Mm-hmm. Only in the Amer- only in the American version. Do, does the dub add those elements? Oh. So there you go. How about that? 
And the dub is really recent, too. Oh, no. It's like 2004 or something. (laughs) So rapey. Yeah. Bad. 2003. Problematic. Problematic. Well, I'm happy to know that it's not in the original. Yeah. Yeah. Makes us feel a bit better about it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yes, I also, I agree with you, Ruben. I was like, she's like a teenager. At most, yeah. Yeah. I think they should have got, I mean, they, to me, they cast uh, people who are too old. Like Dawson from Dawson's Creek and Anna Paquin. Like, Mm -hmm. just cast couple of kids to do it i mean there are plenty you know kid act child actors of that age uh who are yeah. you're more than capable and very very good just get a couple of those yeah and then we'd actually yeah i didn't buy this is the problem i had with 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 pazu i didn't buy his voice he's he's way too old uh and it, it just mm-hmm. didn't so i think part of the part of the issue is with these movies like they i think what they were trying to do is get kind of big names behind yeah Mm-hmm. them so that americans would go watch them mm-hmm. and i think yeah. it's you know it's hard to name like big child stars like i i can't really name any big child stars right now i'm trying to think of some child no. stars and i can't i can name some yeah. like younger people but i don't think i can name any child stars um mm-hmm. you know i can name like jonathan taylor thomas like from back when we were kids um, <laughs> right but uh JTT. <laughs> yeah, but well, what about uh, what about it? all those like, kids in really in like Stranger Things? They're all really good. You could got you could have got Millie Bobby Brown to do uh, Sheeta. You know, she'd have been great. Or whoever her two thousand four equivalent, whoever was. the equivalent was. 2004. <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they did. They are weirdly old for the roles. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Anna Paquin was born in nineteen eighty two, so in two thousand three she was twenty one. When she played Cheetah. He's supposed to be like 12. Right. Preteen. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. yeah, there's a disconnect there yeah, for sure. Don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, we can't, uh, we can't wrap this one up without uh, addressing the whimsy scale, Ruben. Mm-hmm. Whimsy scale, that's right. <laughs> where do we... Um, My favorite. Where are we putting this one on the whimsy scale? Uh, I'm gonna put this one at around a 3.5. Right, lower than Nausicaa. Mm. Lower than Nausicaa. There are no wow, okay, mystical creatures. There are no kind of other than a crystal, which is a power source, which you know I think can be a direct correlation to nuclear power, maybe. Um, in the film, uh, mm-hmm. it feels very sciencey. It feels very almost grounded. Get it. Get it grounded. Nice. Castle in the sky. <laughs> Castle in the sky. Nice. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks. Nice. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't feel very um, whimsical to me. Hmm. Three point five. Do you do you agree, Jamie? You put this uh, higher or lower? It's like a game show. I totally disagree. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna put this at like a seven. Um, seven. I know. I think. First of all, I think the pirates are extremely whimsical. Yeah. I think that, like, they're clearly played for laughs. I think that the robots are super whimsical. And then they're the like... The robots in... are sad. The fact that a robot has emotions, which are visible to us, I think is quite whimsical. And then also, the isle, like, Laputa itself is... Sort of like Sky Atlantis. Literally whimsical. And 
It's literally whimsical. <laughs> literally. <laughs> it's about as whimsical as you can so, get. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna give and like there's cute little animals living on uh-huh. it. And yeah, I'm uh also having just like young teenage protagonists who are inherently cute is very whimsical. So I'm gonna give this a seven. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you as well. Jamie, I thought I was gonna go maybe I was <laughs> okay, gonna go seven point okay. five, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go with the seven. Yeah, same same reasons. Yeah, I mean, it just uh, to me, it's just like, like the castle in the sky. It's it's literally mm-hmm. a castle in the sky. I mean, it's right the title of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's all. I think it's all like an anti-war, anti-military-industrial kind of complex. Uh-huh. Film and I just don't think it's super whimsical. No, I think fine. like they're very down to earth concepts that can be grasped, like down mining. Really? Down to no earth. No problem. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> double down on that. Um, <laughs> so that's fine. No we'll, we'll let we'll let the listeners decide. Yeah. No problem. Listeners, email Neil, spam Neil with what your thoughts are about this. <laughs> You know, that that reminds me, actually, we probably should have some sort of Facebook group, shouldn't we? So that people can actually share some thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, yeah. we should probably create one of those. I'm not on Facebook, but I can You're create. Do it for the groups, Ruben? Nope, I deleted my Facebook permanently. Well, good, for um, good for you. But I could create like a burner Facebook account here. <laughs> we'll see what we can do for next time. Uh, will we come back? Yeah. For the next one. What is the next one, guys? That's a great Ooh, question. I have this up. The next one is Grave of the Fireflies. Oof. Mm, I have not seen that one. Oh, really? I'm excited. Have you seen I have it? not seen it either. Wow. Oh, you guys. I'm going to give you one bit of advice for this one when you watch it. Okay. Get yourself a box of tissues. Oh, really? Uh-oh. You're going to need them. According to Wikipedia, Oof. it has the highest Metacritic score of any of these. Oh, yeah, that's not true. Spirited Away is higher, higher, but... This has a 100% on wow. Rotten Tomatoes. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. damn. Spirited Away only has a 97%. Oof. Yep. Well, All right. get yourselves ready and we'll see you on the next one. Science and Magic. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>